I believe that God has brought you here for a reason. I don't believe that one of you have walked into this room today from the youngest person here to the oldest person here. I don't believe you've walked into this room today by accident. I don't believe that you're here just because it's habit. I don't believe you're here just because that's what you do. I don't believe you're here just because you decided to come. I believe that God has placed you here for a purpose and for a reason. And I believe that that purpose and that reason is to help you to possess the promise. To help you grab a hold of the promises in your life. I don't believe right now you're tuning on to Facebook to watch this video. Whether you're watching live or you're watching in recording. I don't believe you're doing it by chance. I don't believe you're doing it because you saw Souls Harbor or you know that's the church where Pastor Tommy pastors. I believe God is sending you to watch this video for a purpose. And I encourage you, stay with it. Hang on. Hold through this sermon. Give me some time. And I believe God's going to speak to your promise. God has a word for us today. And that word is possess it. Possess. Hold on. Grab a hold of what I've told you you can have. We have wasted. We have wasted so much of our time and so much of our life. We have wasted saying, if I could just get there, I could get what I want. If I just had this, I could be victorious. If I could just be like that person, everything would be okay. If I had just made a better decision, I would be in a better place. If I could just possess this money or that job or that house... If only I'd married that person. Come on now. If only I'd went to that school. If only they had been my parents. And we think that the reason we don't have what we're looking for is that for some reason we were not put in the right place. But I've come by the house to tell you today that God has given a word to tell you to possess the promise I have for you. Your promise is not based on your mama and your daddy. Your promise is not based on your husband or your wife. Your promise is not based on whether or not your kids listen. Thank you, God. Your promise is not based on your job. Mm, I'm going to step out on a, on a limb this morning and tell you, your promise is not based on what church you attend, what pastor you sit under. Your promise is based on what your God has spoken into your spirit. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like somebody else to get something from God. God has offered a promise to everyone who will tune their ears to his word, tune their spirit to his power. He has promised a promise. He has given them a call. And all we have to do is possess what God has called us to do. But there are some challenges along the road. 
Jesus has a victory for us. God called the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt to fulfill a promise that was not originally given to them, to fulfill a promise that was given to their great-great-great-grandfather. When Abraham left his home and went to Canaan, lived in tents, God spoke to him and said, wherever you set your foot will be your possession. It will be your land. The only land that Abraham ever owned in the promised land was a grave. The only piece of land that Abraham ever owned in the promised land was a grave. But now his descendants have been brought out of Egypt. And God says, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you the promise. I'm going to give you what I told you you could have. You don't have to live in slavery. You don't have to live wondering. You don't have to live in the wilderness. Their lack of faith caused them to wander 40 years. And everybody who was an adult when they came out of of Egypt died in the wilderness. But But God told the next generation, I'm still giving you a land. You don't have to die in the desert like your mama and daddy did. If you will trust in me and go possess the land, you will have victory. But along the way, as they got into the promised land, they found nations. And we've talked about some of them this week, this month. We've talked about possessing victory over our money. How they gave the spoils of Jericho to God. We've talked about possessing victory over fear. We've talked about possessing victory over the world. We talked about last week possessing victory over pride. Pastor, where where are these things coming from? And I've shared with you many times. They're coming based out of a book written by a dear friend of mine, one of my mentors, Dr. Brian Cutshaw. Dr. Cutshaw now works full-time with Perry Stone Ministries. He's one of... directs his school of ministry many years ago when he was still pastoring twin rivers worship center in st louis as a matter of fact i believe he actually wrote this book during the time that i was on staff with him but he wrote this book entitled conquering canaan and and where these different things come from is he takes the names of the nations in the Hebrew and finds the roots. And he was amazed to find that most of the names, the root, created other words of things we find, like money, fear, self-pity, pride. And all of a sudden he began to realize as he researched this that that if we would conquer those act those actions, those attitudes, those thoughts in our life, then we become free to conquer the promised land. We become free to possess the promise. 
The reason we don't walk in victory is we give in to our money. We give in to our pride. We give in to fear. We give in to the world. And we don't hold on. Today I want to talk about possessing victory over self-pity. Oh, woe is me. Self-pity is the cry of the Pentecostal church. I just sacrificed it all for Jesus. We don't have anything. Matter of fact, us Pentecostals, we've got so caught up in the idea that we don't have anything that if God begins to bless us, we turn the blessing away because we're afraid that we will get in the flesh. You know why? We would rather serve ourselves pity than serve an all-powerful God. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning? Numbers chapter 33, verse 55. If you wonder why people scream, we get excited when we open the word of the Lord here. Numbers chapter 33, verse 55 says this. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they will harass you in the land where you dwell. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now, and I ask for your victory. I ask for your power. I ask for your anointing. Lord, allow me to speak your word in a clear, concise manner that allows everyone who hears this word, both those that are here and those who listen to the podcast or watch the video. Lord, allow them to carry your word in their heart and in their life. Not just hear something that they think they enjoy. Not just, not just hear something that speaks to them and convicts them for a moment, but something that leads them to change in their heart and in their life. Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way and let your spirit preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Possessing victory over self-pity. The verse that we've read at the beginning of every sermon in this series is that if we, don't, if we fail to drive out the inhabitants of the land, they will irritate our eyes and be thorns in our side. They will, they will, they will mess with us. They will harass us. They will cause us to feel abused. Instead of walking in promise, we will walk in defeat. Instead of possessing, we will constantly be trying to defend. We'll constantly be trying to figure out what little bit we can hold on to. We will believe, instead of possessing the promise, we will believe that the promise is always just outside of our reach. It's always going to be just outside our grasp. It's always going to be something we can see, but we can't hold. And if we're not careful, we will very quickly fall into a life of self-pity. Oh, I want it, but I can't have it. We will tell ourselves we're not good enough for it. We'll tell ourselves our church isn't good enough for it. We'll tell ourselves that there is no way on this earth. 
we will tell ourselves that the promise was never intended for today, that the only promise we have is a promise of heaven. I got news for you. I believe in a promise of heaven, but I also believe that God will bless those that worship him here, and we can live in blessing, and we can possess the promise in this day, in this hour, in this time. But instead, we wallow in self-pity. We wallow in depression and in pain. Why? Because we've allowed the enemy to harass us on every side. So I begin to look at self-pity. Dr. Cutshaw lays out the passage in Exodus chapter 23, verse 31, where it says, And I will set your boundaries from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and to the desert, uh, to the desert, from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Philistia, the Philistines, is the picture of self-pity. It is the picture of that army that we never seem to beat. You look through the history of the Israelites, and it's Philistines. It's Philistines that we're always battling. It was a Philistine that stood in a valley named Goliath, and the Philistine's name was Goliath that taunted the armies of Israel. But David went out and conquered. It was Philistines that Samson, Samson fought against as, as a judge. It's Philistines that always seem to crop back up. They always seem to bring with them fear and loathing and doubt and confusion. Every time the Philistines come around, it was the Philistines that stole the Ark of the Covenant. It was the Philistines that took away the very presence of God from the children of Israel. It's the Philistines that becomes a thorn in their side. When we look through this, in a few minutes, we're going to get to a place we're going to talk about the five Philistine kings. And we're going to look at the meanings of their names and understand why self-pity is the battle that we equate with the Philistines. I'm going to tell you one of the biggest struggles we have as Christians is not our biggest battle as Christians is not with the devil. It's with us. Our biggest battle in receiving the promise of God is not that the devil is attacking us. It is that we begin to attack ourselves. We create in ourselves mindsets that tell us why we can't have what God says we can have. That won't ever happen. That's not good. I'm not good enough. They're not good enough. We're not good enough. We begin to have... Pity parties. Anybody ever had a pity party? I've had one or two or three or four today. Pity party is when you get into a situation and you begin to tell yourself 
that yourself is the only answer. Our society today is based on self-help. You go to a library, you go to a bookstore, and there are more books in the areas of self-help than anything else. What we're telling is that there's nothing you can do to help me. There's nothing he can do to help me. i got to help myself. That is the basis of self-pity because we begin to depend only on ourselves. Pastor Cutshaw outlines in Conquering Canaan the five laws of the pity party. When I read this, I thought, I I can't just take an idea. I've got to actually take these five laws. We've got to talk about these. And uh, Pastor Cutshaw, if you watch watch, watch the video, thank you. And just for your information, he's told me I can preach any of his stuff as if it's mine, but I'm still giving him credit. Law number one for the pity party. No one can party with me but me. What are you talking about, Pastor? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Nobody knows it but me. Nobody's been through what I've been through but me. Nobody, nobody feels what I feel but me. You know how often I hear that? Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. You haven't been there, but I have. Oh, let me tell you something, honey. I may not have been through your problem, but I've been through my problem. I got news for yourself, arrogant people. I'm not, I should have wore a suit and tie today. I put on jeans trying to get nice, but I don't know if it's going to help. I got news for you. We got a bunch, self, a bunch of self-involved, self-arrogant people that come and sit on pews in churches every Sunday morning, and this church included, and we think that nobody can understand the pain I am. My pain is bigger than your pain. I got news for you. When you begin to understand that everybody's got some pain, I can bring you some people that can show you what pain is. I can bring you some situations in life that'll make you feel like you've had nothing. It's like the old adage that said, I was upset that I had holes in my feet and my shoes and I saw a man that had no feet and the man that had no feet said I felt bad about having no feet till I saw a man that had no legs felt bad about not having legs until I went to the funeral of a man who was dead all of a sudden we begin to understand there is always somebody out there that's got it worse than you do but law number one of the pity party is ain't nobody can party but me nobody's going. You know what happens when you get into this pity party? And some good-meaning, well-hearted Christian going to come up and say, I'm praying for you. I've been there. I know. No, you haven't. You don't know. Lord, I had a youth pastor one time. Actually, he was a worship pastor at the time this happened. And he had met this girl. They they got in an argument. She actually got scared by the Holy Ghost, and they broke up. And he had called me. And that crazy kid <laughs> said on the phone to me, but Pastor Tommy, 
I wish I could just find a wife that was loving and supported and stood behind me like your wife does. I'm like, dude, you don't even know my wife. She's a Yankee with a mind of her own. You think she never tells me something? She's already at one point looked at me in this service and went. That means move on. You see, it would be it was easy for him to say, you don't understand because he saw things on the surface. But I got news for you. When you start saying people can't party with me but me, they don't know what I'm going through, then you're on your way to a pity party. And a pity party will do nothing but destroy your life. Law number two. No one can have anything but me. That's why we can't have nothing nice. So words of my wife there. That's what happens when all you have is boys in the house. You can't have nothing nice. No one can have anything from me. Let me tell you something. You're on the road to a pity party when all you talk about is what you have and don't have. And when somebody else gets a blessing, they didn't deserve that. When somebody else gets a praise, well, I can't believe they patted them on the back and they didn't pat me on the back. When somebody says something, thank you to somebody else, and your first concept is, well, they didn't thank me. Honey, you're in a pity party and you need to get your way out of it. I'm I'm sick and tired. I said this last week, I'm sick and tired of church. I'm tired of walking into church week after week after week, and somebody's always, why do they get blessed and I don't? It's my favorite one. The pastor didn't even shake my hand. (laughs) Wow. Just in case y'all didn't hear that, somebody in the crowd said, well, maybe you didn't deserve it. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I'm sick and tired. Sick. Pastor didn't call me when I missed. Well, did you call pastor because you missed? Come on now. No, come on now. We, somewhere down the road, we have decided that nobody can get anything if I don't get it. If, if pastor doesn't take care of me, he can't take care of nobody else. If, if things aren't happening for me, my problems are more important. My time is more important. And all of a sudden, we think that what we have is more important than what everybody else has. Law number three in a pity party. No one can understand me but me. Oh, I understand where. No, you don't. I, 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 I've been there where I tell people, I'm praying for you. I understand. They go, no, you don't understand. And it makes me want to go, you're right. 
it makes me want to look at some people and say, you're right, I don't understand. I don't understand how somebody who believes that Jesus was, was killed, buried, and rose again on the third day, somebody that believed Jesus is coming back to take us to glory, somebody that believed Jesus could walk on the water and heal the sick, somebody that believes that God created the world with the sound of his own voice, I don't understand how you can wallow in self-pity and not believe that God's got this. I don't get it. I don't get it. But we get this idea that nobody's hurt like us. Nobody's had a bad day like us. Pastor, you come into the church every Sunday and, 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 and you're full of energy and you live my life for a week. Live my life. Live my life for a few days. Take the phone calls. Go through the meetings. Hear the complaints. Hear the backbiting. Feel the pressure. I walk into the house of God and sometimes I'm under a weight. When I tell you I understand what pressure is, I can tell you I understand what pressure is. But our problem is we look and go, no, you don't understand. Everything works for you. No, it don't. But we get to a place that we think the only one that understands me is me. Oh, I could, I could go off on a pity party. Nobody understands what it means to be a pastor. But I tell you what, I don't understand what it means to be a widow, a divorcee. I don't understand what it means to be a single mom. I don't understand what it means to be a single dad. I don't understand what it means to, 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 to be a newlywed anymore. It's been, Lord, it's been a lifetime since I was a newlywed. I was a young man when I was a newlywed. I ain't a young man no more. I, I, I don't understand... I, 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 I don't understand where some of you, I don't understand what it's like to have a, a spouse that's not a believer. I, I, I've never been there. I don't know, I understand what it's like to have somebody in my family that's, that's addicted to substance abuse and alcohol and drugs. I, I, I don't understand. I've never been there. But what I do understand is I understand the power of God. I understand that God is able to reach down. You may not understand what it's like to be a pastor, but I don't understand what it's like to be you. But I got news for you. We both understand who can help us both. Law number four of the pity party. No one can encourage me but me. If I could add an addendum to that one, it would be no one can encourage me but me, but everybody better try. You ever known those people? Maybe you've been that person. People come up and pat you on the back and hug your neck. and you're, I don't, It's not going to do no good. I'm the only one. I, 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 I. Sound like a bunch of pirates. I, I, I. 
We, we think that we're the only ones that have the power. We think that we're the only ones that have the ability. We won't accept appreciation. We won't accept love. We won't accept encouragement for anybody else because they don't have what it takes. But I got news for you. When we won't accept it from God's people, there's no way we're going to accept encouragement from God himself. Law number five. No one can befriend me but me. The church is just mean. There's no friendly people in the church. Let me tell you something. When you walk around the church going, when you look like you've been gas, drinking gasoline through a, through a gas pipe, look like you made lemonade with no sugar, Some of you needed a breath mint and you got a Sour Patch Kid instead. All of a sudden we walk around and we won't let anybody befriend us. I won't be their friend. They're always too happy. I don't like those ladies, they're too cheerful. Cheerful. They say old. There's some of those too. I don't like I don't like the pastor. He's too spiritual. I don't like Lord, I don't I ain't gonna be friends with Chris. He's too intense. Can't be can't like Corey. Corey laughs too much. <laughs> I, we have all these reasons why we can't be friends with anybody else because they don't sink to the same levels we have. They don't have the same pain we had. But then we had the audacity to stand up and say, nobody will be my friend. Honey, you got to show yourself friendly to have a friend. I'm sick and tired of people telling me how rude everybody else is when you're the rudest one in the room. We've got to come to play. It is the five roots, the five laws of a pity party. When we start falling in these things, we are destined to start feeling bad for ourselves. All of a sudden, every time somebody talks to us, we're telling them what's wrong. Everything's going wrong. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Nobody cares. If this church would just care, it would be better. I got news for you. The only one that doesn't care is you. Because you don't care of the power of God. You don't care of God's strength. You don't care that God's got joy that passes understanding. You don't care that God has got a strength for your life that comes with a smile on your face. I got news for you. Quit living in pity parties. And start walking in victory. But let me explain to you something. The reason we live in these pity parties is we've been attacked by the Philistines. We have failed to drive them out. And now they're kings 
have brought about challenges. When you begin to look at the five kings of the Philistines, the Gehazites, the Gehaz, yeah, those, Gazathites. That means a strong place. When there's a strong place, it rises up in your life. The enemy has a stronghold. And all of a sudden, you can't get past it. And on your own strength, now remember all the five laws of a pity party? Nothing happens but me. The me can't get past the strong place. For every one of us, it's different. For some people, that's money. For some people, it's relationships. Mm-hmm. Some people go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship to another relationship to another relationship. For some people, it's spiritual goosebumps. I love to shout. I love to run the aisles. But if we can't worship God past an emotional feeling, we don't know who God is. We got to get past the feelings. But for every one of us, there's a strong place somewhere. Sometimes it's something that was said in your past, and you've let it build walls, and you can't bring it down. Oh, I've got them. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I, I share this all the time. Keep thinking, maybe eventually I'll listen to my preaching instead of listen to my head. God told me 20 years ago to write a book. And for 20 years, I said, nobody would buy it anyway. And have you seen my notes? How am I going to write a book? I can't even write notes. I got news for you. It's a wall. It's a strong place in my life. I'm not good enough. That's what I say all the time. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. Somewhere I got to defeat that. Because it's a Philistine that is causing me, well, I know I'm supposed to write a book, but I never wrote a book because I wasn't smart enough. That's self-pity. It's a wall. The Astrodites. Revenger. Some of us, we get caught by the need for revenge. Oh, I'm going to get them. Why is that rooted in self-pity? Because revenge is always rooted in they did me wrong. Now I've got to do them wrong. Gloom, despair. Oh, it is Ravenger. Same thing. See, that's why I can't write a book. I can't read We want to ravage. We want to, we want to overtake, but we can't overtake. And all of a sudden, the enemy begins to ravage us, begin to eat us away. All of a sudden, it's, all of a sudden it's one Sunday. It's okay to miss one Sunday. And then it's two Sundays. And then it's a month. And then it's, Six months, and then it's a year, and then all of a sudden, 
Well, that's the church I go to, but I haven't been there in years. You know why? You've allowed the ravenger to come in. And through the course of that, there time, well, not enough people from the church called me. They don't care. They don't, no, no, no. Tell you something, church. We need to put our trust in God, not people. We got to trust God, not people. Esclandites, weighing place. These were the, this, this is the place of judgment, the place of, of balancing. All of a sudden, we begin to pity ourselves because we can't stand up to the balance. We can't stand up to the sight. That's why we start giving in to the people that tell us that we're hypocrites. We can't live what we say. So we fall short in the measuring place. And we start pitying ourselves because I'm not good enough. We spend more time worrying about how our works and how our actions are rather than the power and the love of Jesus Christ. I'm not good enough. I'm not godly enough to preach the gospel. But when the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes on me, he picks me up and he uses my temple as a tool to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our weights are not man's weights we are not judged by men but we are judged by the father and the judgment that comes from the father is completely completely based in i have given myself to be covered by the blood of jesus christ committed myself to the word my past doesn't matter anymore my heritage doesn't matter anymore it's the blood of jesus christ Read a book several years ago called Search for Significance by, I want to say his name was Thomas McGee or Tim McGee. And he, he writes in this book, he said, as you get ready to, he said, I want you to pull out a piece of paper. He said, imagine you're going to the throne of heaven. He said, I want you to write down every reason why God should let you into heaven. I pulled out my notebook and I made a list. I finished my list. I opened the book back up and the author of the book said, if you've got anything on the paper other than Jesus died for my sin, you've missed the point. Now some of you say, well, I knew that. Yeah, you may have known that, but that's not the way you live. We list out all the things that we've done trying to defeat the weighing place, trying to defeat the measure. The Gittites. That means to press like a wine press. Do you understand? Pastor Kutch, I'll put this in the book. He says, the death of a grape is the birth of the wine. When we get to a place that we quit trying to live like grapes and we start trying to live like wine, what's an old grape? A raisin. 
What's an old wine? Priceless. Think about that, church. We got a lot of raisins in the church and not a lot of wine. See, we, we, we live in a place where we don't want to go through the pressing place. We, we don't want to go through the trial. But what we've got to understand is that when we go through that place, we come out of it something different. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. When we let God take us through the pressing places and press us and squeeze us, but yet when we get to the pressing places, we go, God hates me. God hates me. What happens when we go through the pressing place and go, Oh, look what I'm about to get. That's why James could write, count it all joy to fall into diverse temptations. Because we know that when patience has completed its work, it will bring about maturity and we'll be mature and lacking nothing. What he was saying is, when the press starts pressing, start praising. When the doctor says that there's a disease, start thanking God. Because every great testimony of healing I've ever heard, the doctor said there was a disease. You see, when you begin to understand that the process isn't what you're there for, it's the suddenly. When you go through the press, you're going to come out the wine. Acronites means instability. Uh, uh, uh. I can be godly on Sunday morning, but I'm not godly on Monday morning. I'll be on fire in church this week, but not next week. I'll be in here for a while and then in here for a while. Well, Pastor. Pastor, I, I go to a lot of different churches. That's great. You know, the problem with that is you don't have a single church that follows up with you. You don't have a church that builds relationship with you. Everybody thinks somebody else has got you. And all of a sudden, you live outside the covenant of everybody that you go to. Instability. And then when you hit a rough patch, and all of a sudden, you're not in one of the other churches. You're just not in church at all. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows. See, these five kings show five levels of self-pity. I can't defeat the rough things in my life. It seems everywhere I go, there's trouble. Everywhere I go, it, 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 like every situation in my life just ravages me. It tears me apart. I feel like I've been beat up. Anybody else ever been in that place where you feel like you're beat up? I don't measure up. I don't measure up. I'm being pressed. I can't commit. 
Every one of them lead us to pity. Every one of them lead us to start saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I didn't do this with my kids. Wish I had it. I didn't do it with them because I wasn't strong enough to. But I wish I'd have raised my kids teaching them that I'm not, can't be said. I'm not this, I'm not that. Wish I'd let them with confidence. Now, I've raised my boys with confidence. Sometimes I think maybe too much confidence in some situations. But can I tell you something as believers? Quit trying to judge your own life. We have a judge in, who is in heaven. And his judgment is seen through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's about our commitment to Christ. It, it's not about our actions. Pastor, are you saying we can do whatever we want? No. I'm saying when you commit yourself to Christ and you get yourself in his word and you obey him, you don't want to do the other stuff. I heard somebody on TV this morning. And he was preaching about forgiveness. He says, Pastor, I can't forgive myself for what I've done. He said, let me tell you a few things about forgiving yourself. He said, number one, he, and he's much smarter than I am in most things. He said, he said uh, there, I can't find a place in the Bible where the Bible tells me to forgive myself. He said, so take that off your list. He said, but let me tell you what I can tell you about forgiveness. If the creator of the universe, the one who created all of history, has forgiven you, then you've already been forgiven by the greatest power to forgive, so you don't need to worry about it. Here's what he was saying. We keep saying we can't measure up, we can't be forgiven. He's saying, listen, God will forgive you, quit worrying about it. But as long as we can hold on to the worry, we can hold on to the pity. And when we get into self-pity, then we're not responsible for anything. It's not my fault. It's the way God made me. No, God made you to be victorious through him. God made you to have power. God made you to have victory. God made you to possess the promise. If we will just trust his hand. This week is going to be Thanksgiving. Many of us are going to sit down at tables this week with family. Some of you are going to sit with family you don't normally see anymore. Some of you may sit with family that you don't always get along with. But when you sit down at that table, the way you're going to be able to be thankful is to quit being having self-pity. Don't sit there and think about how bad they've treated you. What they didn't do. 
But I want you to sit down and remember that God created you and put you in that family. Whether it is your birth family or your marriage family, God placed you there. And he placed you there to be a ray of life and a ray of hope and a light, maybe a light in a dark world. But there's nothing to pity. There's nothing to sit there and go, they treat me so bad. Rather, it's time to stand up and say, I know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's time to, as Samson did, as he fought the Israelites, pick up the gates of the city and carry them off. I'm not going to be bound by the gates. I'm going to carry them away. Maybe it's time to be like David and pull out the five smooth stones and say, the battle is not mine, but it belongs to the Lord. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's time to be the ones who, who go and get back the ark as the Philistines send it back. And I'm going to tell you, you send God in the middle of the Philistines, and they'll send him back. Israelites didn't go get the ark. The ark came back with two cows because the Philistines said, oh, we don't want it anywhere near us. There's power there. There's power there. If we will begin to understand, God's got this. God's got this. I looked on Facebook this morning, and I looked at my memories, and I realized that six years ago today, I resigned the church I pastored in Ohio to come here, which means that six years ago last Sunday was God's Got This Day. It was the beginning of God's Got This in this church. For six years now, we've been saying it. We've said it so much that most people hate hearing it anymore. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. Every once in a while, somebody will tell me God's got this, and I just want to slap them. You know why? Because I'm trying to have a pity party. I can't have a pity party if God's got this. If we will understand that God's got this, we begin to possess the victory over self-pity. Because it quits being about us. It quits being about our, our circumstances. It quits being about our situations. And it starts being about our God. If the Israelites had understood the way David did, that God was in charge of the battle, the Philistines would have been defeated and they would not have been a thorn in their side. If we will understand that God is in control of our life. Self-pity will fade away, and victory will take its place. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I thank you for your power. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for your peace. And Lord, I ask that as we walk out of this building, we go into a week of celebrating thanks that we do it with a clean heart, not worrying about what's going on in our life, but, Lord, giving you glory for what you're building in our spirits. Lord, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. Remember, tonight at 6 o'clock we'll be at Turning Point for our community Thanksgiving service. See you there. Shake hands, be friendly, tell somebody you love them, everybody God loves them, you're dismissed. Happy Thanksgiving.